the Huntley Baptist Church podcast. We hope that this message can be an encouragement to you today. Please feel free to contact us at huntleybaptist at extra.co.nz or visit us at huntleybaptist.com. Janet's got a cousin called John Dawson and uh, he wrote a book called Taking Our Cities for God. I think it's an excellent book. It's a life changer. If you borrow it, for goodness sake, bring it back. But uh, Taking Our Cities for God, one of the chapters is called Angels, all about angels, and begins with this little extract. And this is about someone, in fact, that Murray and Jenny know better than I do. It was a clear desert night. We gazed out the restaurant window at the endless stream of lights. Holiday weekend traffic thundered by on a California freeway. Where's Matthew? asked my wife, Julie. He went to the bathroom with David, Paul said. A few minutes later, my oldest son, David, returned, but the youngest, Matthew, two and one half years old, was missing. We searched the restaurant. We searched the parking lot. After searching a nearby shopping centre, we became desperate. Our greatest fear was that he would stumble onto the freeway or the busy streets, all unfenced on three sides of the restaurant. I was searching the, deep, the steep slope on the edge of the freeway when I found him. He was sitting in the dark, just a few feet from the speeding line of cars and trucks. Hi, Matthew, I said, trying not to reveal the panic in my voice. Hi, Dad, he said. The man tied my feet up so that I sat down. What man, I said. A nice man, said Matthew. See, my feet are all tied up. I could see nothing on his little feet, but he acted as though he could not move them. And indeed, he could not move them until I reached down and caught him into my arms. Thank God for his angels, I shouted into the night. I, I read that this morning, and I cried, and I am again. I'll compose myself. Does God care about our kids? He does. We've had experiences of angels, you see, when, when angels helped us. Many of the people in the room have gone, oh, that happened to me. And, and actually, John and Julie had each individually had experience of angels before. So they, that's why John knew exactly what happened. Uh, the, he knew it was an angel. The man who tied up his feet was an angel. And you know Matthew, don't you? That's, that's the next-door neighbour of... That the little boy, Matthew, grew up to be the next-door neighbour of Craig Henderson, strangely enough. So we've had, a, he, we've had wonderful experiences of angels, right? They help us. But there's a danger in that. Can you understand what the danger may be? You see, we could be sidetracked, couldn't we? We could become so interested in angels that we kind of go off to the side of the faith that God is expecting us to have. You see, if we need some help from angels, we don't ask the angels. Who do we ask? We ask God. When he's called the Lord of hosts, the word hosts means armies. And the armies are armies of people. He's the, the, he's the Lord of our army. And they're armies of angels as well. Angels being his helpers, his messengers, and his workers. So if we need to deal with the hosts, we deal with the Lord of hosts. We ask God for help, and I'm sure John and Julie did, and if he sends angels and that's his way of helping, that's good. The Colossian church had that problem. The Colossians were people who lived at Colossae, just like Hamiltonians live at Hamilton. The Colossians had this problem in that they would be sidetracked because teachers came into their church and tried to make them think so much about some of the other spiritual powers and angels and things like that, that they were in danger of kind of losing their focus. Various teachers came into the Colossian church and some said that Christians had to worship other spiritual beings out there, which is not true. But the Colossians were young Christians. In fact, Christianity itself was young. 
They didn't have the big heritage of teaching that we have. In New Zealand, Hiwi Tauroa wrote a book called Te Marae, and it's a good book. It's a lovely book that explains his upbringing and, and un- expands our understanding. But in it, he mentions walking through the forest with his father. And his father says this. He says, Hiwi, when we're in the forest, we have to respect Tane. Because, tane, because God made Tane. So when we respect Tane, we really respect God. That is not a biblical belief. That is not a biblical belief, although it's one that I'm hearing from some Christians in New Zealand in recent times. Because God is the the God who made the forest. Yes, he did make Tane, that's true, but I've known people to be sidetracked and actually kept from God because Tane had such a strong grip on their life, and I've told you a story about that in here before. The Colossian church, too, could get sidetracked in that way. Now, have you heard of Arocha? Arocha is an organization, it's a conservation and restoration organization that is a Christian organization, and their most famous local enterprise is that Arocha, these Christians, have gone up Mount Karioi in Raglan, and they have worked to restore the habitat and the well-being of some beautiful birds called the Stormy Petrel or Oi. Their work is world-renowned, they're famous, it's wonderful, And they would say, we have a mandate to look after creation because God commanded us to replenish the earth and subdue it. It's wonderful work. But can you see the risk? The risk is this. In Romans Romans 1.25, Paul warns us that some people worship and serve what is created instead of the creator. Now, we look after birds. We reduce, reuse, and recycle. We clean up our rubbish. We do all we can to keep the waterways and air nice and fresh and clean because God wants us to. It's our job. But not because we love Mother Earth, but because our Father God told us to. The Earth is a creation. The Earth is not our mother. The people of Colossae could get sidetracked on these things. Across the road there, we have beautiful Christian friends in the Mormon church, and they have temple rituals because they think it pleases God and brings them close to Him. They wear special underwear because they think it protects them. Do we need that? Is Jesus Christ enough? You see, the Colossian church had heard false teachers telling them they need special rituals to be fully saved. And the Mormon church will tell you that too. But it's not true. Some of my friends have become followers of a woman called Ellen White. They love the Bible. But like the Jehovah's Witnesses, they're not trusted to read and think for themselves. If it's in the Bible, but Ellen White or the Jehovah's Witnesses' bosses say something else, you kind of have to leave that bit of the Bible out. God doesn't want us to be like that. He wants us to be able to read the Bible and believe it. And sure, sure, sometimes there will be contradictions or seeming contradictions. You say, well, hang on, how do we balance that bit of the Bible against that? We've got to think a bit. Now, you can easily get out of the thinking process by joining the Jehovah's Witnesses or the Seventh-day Adventists, and they'll do all the thinking for you, and then you just say, oh, we don't worry about that bit of the Bible. But it's not really right, is it? Not really right. As an aside, I want to warn about something that's heard in this church. It's a, a translation of the Bible by Eugene Peterson that is called The Message. And on two occasions, people have actually stood in this building and read out from The Message, and it's, what's come out has been not what's actually in the Bible. Because Eugene Peterson, the translator, did it all on his own. Most translations are made by teams. And if he didn't like a bit, one of the things he can do is leave it out. And I've actually heard that said in this church. 
It's, ha it's happened twice. Once he put an extra bit in, another, bit, another time he took a bit out. On the first occasion, the person who read it read from the Bible as well, so at least we could double check. The second occasion it was read only from the message. So that's a danger that we face in this church. I just thought I'd say that. Now I have a relation who loved the Lord with all his heart. But over the last three years he's gone down a rabbit hole. It's the conspiracy theories rabbit hole. And I worry because he has a new saviour. And the saviour is Donald Trump. And he has a new kingdom. The kingdom is called the Mighty Alliance. I know very little about it except he sends me a bit about saying that the Mighty Alliance, fear not, the Mighty Alliance is going to save us from the evil of the world. Could we be sidetracked? You see, this guy loved the Lord with all his heart. But as he's gone down this track, we notice a growing sort of hardness in him. And it's, it's more difficult for him. He was a most loving and loyal family member, and that's been strained. We notice a difference in his personality. Uh, to those of you, that there are people in this room who greatly admire Donald Trump, and there are people who don't. I'm not commenting on that at all, uh, whether Donald Trump is a good man. What I'm saying is he's not the saviour of the world. Jesus Christ is the saviour of the world. I don't know anything about the alliance, but it's God's army that's going to save the world, not the mighty alliance, whoever on earth they are. So some people say, you know, well, this is the way God's working, but, but it's, it's a slippery slope. How can we avoid this? Now, this is, this is not a rhetorical question. It's a real question. How can we avoid going down this slope and kind of getting sidetracked off into things? Because I'll tell you, the people who've gone down this track are sincere, decent Christians. They're not idiots. But something comes along, and it happened to the people of Colossae as well, the Colossian church. It happened to them that they started to get sidetracked. And that's actually why Paul wrote the letter to the Colossians. He knew this was happening, and he wanted to stop it. So come on, I'm genuine here. I'm asking you, what could we do to sort of proof ourselves against getting off on the sidetrack? Have you any ideas at all? We have 2,000 years of Christian experience in this room. Have you thought it out? What could we do? What should we do? What, what should we do? Read the Word of God. That's a very good answer. Hmm? Pray for the truth, although actually our dear friends at the Mormons tell us to do that. They say, if you're not sure, and you're not sure if our message, our Mormon message is true, just pray to God to show you in your heart. So, <laughs> that's what they say. Yes, that's their standard response. So yes, we do pray to God, don't we? But, but reading the Word of God kind of keeps our prayer. We, we know. You see, if we read the Bible a lot, we know how God speaks. We get used to his voice. And when there's something from over there somewhere, we go, hang on a minute. That doesn't tie in with what I've been reading in the Bible for years. You see? So that's, that's why praying is great, Valerie, but let's keep our mind in, in tune. What, does somebody else have a great idea? Meditate on the word day and night. Sorry, I'm not a parrot. I'm saying it so it appears on the soundtrack of the recording. Okay, meditate on the word day and night. And then it becomes a part of us, you see. So things we can do. What else, Joslyn? The Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Now, I told you before... These people who I'm talking about are not idiots. In fact, the people I'm talking about, the people who followed Ellen White and joined the Seventh-day Adventist Church, the, peop the, the, the man who's gone down the Donald Trump path, uh, friends who are now in Huntley Mormons or Huntley Jehovah's Witnesses, 
they are people who came to this church and liked it. They're people I know. I'm not just talking abstract. They've come to our church. They've sat in fellowship with us. They've listened to people speaking. They listened to me speaking. And now they're in those places. So if we were to say, oh, it couldn't happen to us, we're wrong because it could happen to us. We could be sidetracked. We could fall into error. And that's what Colossians is all about. Young Christians were being led astray. They were beautiful people. They were loving people. The Bible makes that clear. But they were being told things which would actually sidetrack them away from the true gospel and away from real freedom. Now, I lost my big black Bible a while ago, so I grabbed this one. It's called the Good News Bible. And uh, it's some, somebody gave it to us for a wedding present. And uh, it's very simple. But for people who say, oh, look, we find the Bible a bit hard to understand, <laughs> I counsel you, don't turn to the message. Grab this one because it's simple language, and, and it's, but it's true. It's truthful. They don't put their own stuff in it. And this is an introduction. One of the things I like about the Good News version of the Bible, here it is, is that they have an introduction in front of every book of the Bible. And I really find them helpful. So here goes. Paul's letter to the Colossians was written to the church at Colossae, a town in Asia Minor, east of Ephesus. This church had not been established by Paul, but was in an area for which Paul felt responsible as he sent out workers from Ephesus, the capital of the Roman province of Asia. Paul had learned that there were false teachers in the church at Colossae who insisted that in order to know God and have full salvation, one must worship certain spiritual rulers and authorities. In addition, these teachers said, one must submit to special rights such as circumcision and must observe strict rules about foods and other matters. Paul writes to oppose these teachings with the true Christian message. The heart of his reply is that Jesus Christ is able to give full salvation and that these other beliefs and practices actually lead away from him. Through Christ, God created the world and through him, he is bringing it back to himself. Only in union with Christ is the hope of salvation for the world. Paul then spells out the implications of this great teaching for the lives of believers. It is noteworthy that Tychicus, who took this letter to Colossae for Paul, was accompanied by Onesimus, the slave on whose behalf Paul wrote Philemon. Now, that's a nice introduction, isn't it? You might say, gee, Jeremy, all of the stuff you've been saying is a big introduction to a sermon, but it's not exactly, because I'm introducing a series of sermons. And all the background information that I've given you so far today is to prepare you for a series which is coming up on Colossians. You now know why the book of Colossians was written. And that will apply to the messages in the weeks after this one. Now usually a preacher will read a scripture and then explain it. But today I'm going to do it the other way around. I'm going to explain it first and then I'm going to read it. The reason for that is it's such a beautiful scripture that I want God to have the last word. I want the last thing you hear in my sermon today to simply be reading the Bible because I love it. I really love it. So I'm going to explain some bits first, and, and here's the bits I want to draw attention to. In verse 2 there, you can see that it says, to the saints and faithful brothers in Christ at Colossae. One thing I want to point out is that Paul had never met these people. He called them brothers, but he did not know them. He didn't start that church. And one point we take from this is that if people are far away and we don't know them at all, like our brothers in Afghanistan, 
who are having a terrible time, they're still our brothers nonetheless, and they deserve our help, they deserve our prayers and our support as much as anybody else. Can you look, is verse 4, can you look up verse 4 please? It'll scroll through. This says here, uh, because we've heard, in verse 4, because we've heard about your faith in Christ Jesus and your love for all the saints, all God's people. Now once again, you see, Paul knew that the people in Colossae who didn't have the internet or newspapers or television at all, still knew and cared about all God's people. If there was a famine here, if the believers were being persecuted there, the people of Colossae knew about it. It's much easier for us to know about it. I've said before that people in, in terrible situations like Chinese Christians who are being persecuted say to us, you know, knowing that you pray for us means so much to us. And when I hear that, I go, ooh, I wonder if we really pray for you as much as you think we do. I've sat through whole prayer meetings where we've prayed for all sorts of needs we know, but not thought about the people we don't. And yet, we're more informed than ever before. Whatever happened in Nigeria this week or China or whatever, Indonesia, we can know about it and pray with great understanding and knowledge. And verse 5 it says this, uh, it says, the hope stored up for you in heaven. Now, I've said this before, but I'll say it again. In the Bible, hope just doesn't mean, gee, I hope it doesn't rain tomorrow. I wish. A hope is an absolutely definite thing we look for, forward to. Our heavenly hope, we know it's going to happen. It's in the future. We don't see it, otherwise we wouldn't need hope. But it's a definite thing. So when you read your Bible and you read about hope, which you will a lot, please remember it's not just an old oh man, oh, I wish it wouldn't rain tomorrow. It's not like that. It's like, hey, we're doing all this. But right at the end of it is something sure and certain, which we absolutely know about, but we can't see it yet. So when we read about hope, that's what it means. In verse 9, is verse 9 up there? Whoops. In verse 9, it says this. Uh, we've not stopped praying for you and asking God to fill you with the knowledge of his will and spiritual wisdom and understanding. So once again, this is another variation of what I was saying before. Once again, Paul had never met them, but he heard of them. And it said, the day we heard about you, the first day Paul ever heard about these Christians in Colossae, it sounds like he gathered his friends together and said, let's pray for these guys. Let's pray for them. The gospel's just come to their town. They can't look to older Christians. They're it. What a challenge. So there we are. We pray for people we don't know. Verse 10 says this, that you may walk in a manner worthy of the Lord and may please him in every way, bearing fruit in every good work, growing in the knowledge of God. Now doing good things, living good lives, is a sign that we know God. It shows we're close to God if we live good lives. So we live good lives, but we don't do in our salvation, do we? We live good lives to show that we're saved, to show we're grateful to God. Like Murray says, gratefulness and thanksgiving doesn't say, well, I'm such a good dude, I've earned my salvation. Rather, it says, I'm a plonker, but God reached down and saved me, and now I'm going to do everything I can to show him I appreciate him. And that I'd love to share this with other people too. In verse 11, there's something else that shows you're close to God. Being strengthened with all power according to glorious might, so that you may have full endurance and patience. You see, 
when times get tough and we carry on and we hang in there and we're patient, that too shows that we're close to God. And in verse 14, it says this, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. Real freedom, real redemption is in, in fact in the, free, the forgiveness of our sins. Many of us in this room have been freed from all sorts of things, and that's wonderful. But I think the scripture passage tells us that the ultimate freedom, the ultimate freedom is to actually leave our sins behind. Could you be any more free than that? The consequences are forgiven. The hold of sin on our life is broken. Sometimes we sin, but it no longer owns us. That's wonderful, isn't it? Now, at the same time, as these people I told you about before, who fellowshiped with us, who spent time with us, and now have gone off on various things, tangents. At the same time as that happened, Amy, who you met this morning, went right down to Invercargill, right out of our influence altogether, and has come back as strong and true and faithful to Jesus Christ as she ever was. Ditto Esther, who's been gone for a long time. So it's possible, isn't it, for us to keep on going. And if you're looking for a passage in the Bible that will encourage and help you to do that, the book of Colossians is a book like that. Let's finish, as I promised. Could you scroll back to the beginning of that scripture, please? There we go. So what I wanted to do was finish by reading the scripture. I know it's an unusual way to do a sermon, but I love it so much, I want it to be the last thing you hear. I want it ringing in your mind as you go on your way. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by the will of God, and Timothy, our brother, to the saints and faithful brothers in Christ at Colossae, grace and peace to you from God, our Father. We always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you, because we have heard about your faith in Christ Jesus and your love for all the saints, the faith and love proceeding from the hope stored up for you in heaven, of which you have already heard in the word of truth, the gospel that has come to you. All over the world, this gospel is bearing fruit and growing, just as it has been doing among you since the day you heard it and truly understood the grace of God. You learned it from Epaphras, our beloved fellow servant, who is a faithful minister of Christ on our behalf and who also informed us of your love in the Spirit. For this reason, since the day we heard about you, we have not stopped praying for you and asking God to fill you with the knowledge of his will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding, so that you may walk in a manner worthy of the Lord and may please him in every way, bearing fruit in every good work, growing in the knowledge of God, being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might so that you may have full endurance and patience and joyfully giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in the light. How's that? You like that? Thank you, Lord, for that. Now, this is the beginning of a series. And that very long introduction applied to the series, not to just my message today. Next week, Murray will be speaking on a topic which he didn't make up. It's called the supremacy of Christ, and that's exactly the paragraph heading in my Bible and probably yours. The supremacy of Christ. Think about it. All the wonderful people who've ever lived, the greatest teachers, the people who made history happen, and the people we have in the world today doing wonderful things. 
but one stands above them all, the history maker Jesus Christ, supreme over all. Nobody comes near him um, for wonder. So Murray will be speaking about that next week. I don't know about you, but I intend to be there because if I'm not, I won't hear it, will I? Unless I listen to the podcast. No, I didn't say that. You come along and then you can listen to the podcast as well. Thanks for listening to the Huntley Baptist Church podcast. We hope that it has been an encouragement to you. Please feel free to contact us at huntleybaptist at extra.co.nz or visit us at huntleybaptist.com.